Hey, it's Lisa. This episode of the REIT Search Podcast is sponsored by my Credible Health Bug Shop. If you're a nutritionist, dietitian, fit pro, or health coach, the shop contains a ton of done-for-you content to save you time and fill your digital marketing calendar. Every piece of content in the shop is pre-written, well-researched, expertly edited, and limited edition. As a health pro, you could choose from either long form or mini articles in your field of interest and use them to stay in touch with your audience without having to do the research and content creation yourself. Simply customize and paste them into your blog, email software, or social media platform and hit publish. To check out the Credible Health Blog Shop, visit my website at lisacleach.com. That's L-E-E-S-A-K-L-I-C-H. Research is a podcast that explores current nutritional research and health studies. Our lawyer says we have to let you know that this podcast is for entertainment, educational, and informative purposes only. If you have any health questions, see your doctor or licensed health professional. So hello, everyone. It is Lisa here. And it's Lindsay. Welcome to Research. Welcome to the podcast. And today's study is pretty cool because one of the things we like to do on this podcast is highlight some of the studies that are done that are higher quality studies. So Mm -hmm. review studies, randomized control trials. We try to stay away from things like animal studies, which have their value but they're not necessarily as applicable to like a clinical practice or making a nutrition recommendation as randomized control trials. So when we find humans, humans, exactly, (laughs) the trial, exactly. So when, when we find these trials, we like to highlight them and uh, talk a little bit about what makes them good and also their conclusions, because that is super interesting for people in the nutrition and health field. Well, real life to- takeaways are always fantastic because right. really, I mean, this is all interesting information, but if it's not usable, then okay, it's just interesting information, Right, stuff we can definitely apply to our lives to make ourselves healthier, to help just create healthier lifestyle habits. Which is what we're all about, healthy mm-hmm. lifestyle habits based on the scientific evidence. Yeah. So today's study is called... Ultra processed diets cause excess calorie intake and weight gain. An inpatient, get this, randomized controlled trial of ad libitum food intake. So I'll, I'll get to the punchline and tell you the conclusions, and then we'll go a little bit into the methodology and how this happened. But before I do that, I just want to say that when we look at the conclusions of a study, normally that's the last thing we look at. It, it's specifically at the end, it may be included in the abstract, but when we're going to evaluate a study, when we are going to judge it based on the science, we're going to look at the information they use to come up with their hypothesis in the first place and Mm -hmm. how they conducted it. Because a lot of times when it comes to health research, we have a, a position on things and we're like, oh, well, does this study support what I, what I already know or does it not? And, and it's, it kind of muddies the waters a little bit. So I'm going to tell you the conclusion, but that's not necessarily the first thing I'd recommend everybody does when they're looking at the studies. So because it's a podcast, 
we want to keep this interesting. So the highlights of the study are that they took 20 adults who had stable weight, 10 men and 10 women. Okay. They randomized them, which is the R in the RCT. They randomized them into two different groups. One group got an ultra processed diet meals every day for two weeks. And then they flipped over for the next two weeks to a unprocessed or minimally processed diet. So they crossed over mm -hmm. to the other side and it was the exact opposite for the other group. So the other group started with 10 people on the unprocessed diet for 10 days and then, sorry, for 14 days. And then they flipped over to the ultra processed diet for 14 days. And it was a 28 day study. And that's what makes this such a great study because they're looking at the same people in two different yeah. diets they were weight stable so they didn't they weren't uh didn't have generally fluctuating weights and they actually lived in a metabolic ward for 28 days so that we could measure all kinds of things so this is a fantastic process to use to eliminate so many variables but it's not yeah. realistic to do for every nutrition study yeah well i think this is the impressive part about this study is they were definitely committed yes. <laughs> to go and live somewhere for a month and then basically have all your choices taken away and be given exactly what you're going to eat day in right. day out like that's that's a lot it's to a ask. lot to ask and so well and so it's a big commitment so it's sometimes hard to find participants yes. but it's expensive yes. To run, there's a lot of moving parts to a study like this. And so I think this is one of the reasons we really don't see studies like this in nutrition very often because it is such a big undertaking. It's huge. It's huge. And mm -hmm. even though there are 20 participants, and generally when we're looking at a nutrition study, 20 is tiny. But also mm. generally when we're looking at a nutrition study, that's for observational study. That's for a study where you're not yeah. actually providing the people with food. You're not measuring what they eat. You're just asking them what they ate. So you need more people. And it's a lot easier to do that kind of study. So again, looking at the types of studies that are done is so important. So what they did for these two different diets was they, they matched the diets. So the ultra processed foods and the unprocessed meals. They each got three meals a day plus a snack. They each got, get this, twice as much food as they could pos as they would generally eat. So they could eat as much as they want. What they ate was not, was up to them, which is what they were looking for in the study. Like does what you eat affect how much you eat? So they didn't tell the people how much they could eat. They gave them far more than, than they could eat anyway. Uh, and then they measured it after. Because this is more real world, right? Like you're living in a metabolic world. <laughs> I was just thinking that. Well, yeah, because in the real world, typically we are like the serving sizes now are just, they're getting so big. And so people are always offered way more than they can eat and should be right. eating. So definitely interesting. Do you ever remember cool. Pop being in yeah. 280 mil cans? And yeah, the smaller, the smaller pop cans, cans yeah. when we were little. And now I guess they went with uh, the 355 mils, which I think was standard in the United States at the time. So portion sizes yeah. are getting bigger in all kinds of things. Exactly. Yeah, they, they totally are. So what they found with this study is that when people could eat however much they wanted, they ate 
more, and this probably isn't surprising, but it's amazing to get it quantitative data. They ate approximately 500 kilocalories more every day on average when they were eating the ultra processed foods. And doing that for 14 days, they ended up gaining almost a full kilogram in those 14 days when they were eating the ultra processed diet. So I just want to stop and think about this for a sec, because this is, I mean, 500 calories is a lot. This works out like one kilo is 2.2 pounds. So it works out to about a kilo or sorry, a pound a week. And you factor in, it's about 3,500 calories in the week. Extra. Right. Cause it's seven days a week, 500 calories extra when they were on the processed diet. Like this is when you look at a lot of weight loss blogs and play, you know, different information, what they say is, you know, cut back on about 500 calories a week. If you want to lose about a pound a week, which is the safe, healthy, long-term way to lose weight. You just start cutting back a little bit and slowly you lose the weight. So it's funny that we're seeing the direct evidence of yes, this now. And, and this, again, being a, a randomized control trial is everything is measured. So we have like data yeah. on this in real people that are that happening. And I'm so glad you brought up the weight loss as well, because the exact opposite happened when the same people were eating the unprocessed diets. When they were eating mm-hmm. the unprocessed meals, they were eating again, they were eating 500 approximately kilocalories per day less, which of yes is times seven is 3,500 per day. And in those two weeks, they lost about 0.9 kilograms of weight. And there was, this was highly correlational. So when they graphed out the amount of calories, the amount of calories that people ate and the weight that they gained, that was very, Mm -hmm. quite a straight line. So this was quite proportional to the amount of calories that people were eating and the amount of weight they gained or lost during those Mm -hmm. 14 day time periods. So I'll talk a little bit and they're like, oh, ultra processed and unprocessed. What even does this really mean? And this is, this is good because in science, we need to have definitions so that we're all on the same page about how do we actually define what is ultra, what is not processed and what, what is. Mm-hmm. And so there are classifications. There most definitely are classifications to um, what is an unprocessed and an ultra processed diet. So there are four. Now there's a, a group called NOVA. And they are an international group and they classify food into four different categories. So as you can imagine, one is the unprocessed or minimally processed. So these are things like Mm -hmm. literally picking an apple off a tree and eating it right there. Like you're doing nothing to it. It's ready to go. (laughs) Exactly. So this could be plant food. It could be animal food, fungi, algae, water, anything that you separate from nature and you eat is unprocessed. Now, minimally, you can also minimally process things, and they're considered also this group one uh, category, which would be doing really basic things. So, for example, drying it or boiling it, chilling it, Mm -hmm. putting it in a container. So these are technically processes, but it's so minimal that you're really not changing the context of the food. And both of these together are considered like, quote unquote, natural foods. Now, when we're talking about natural foods, I just want to do a little caveat where there is in Canada, a law that tells us when we can and cannot claim that a food is natural on the actual food label. So 
I'm so glad you're bringing this up because I always thought that there was no right. regulation around that word natural, but learning that there is I'm like, this is okay. This is good. I'm, I'm glad that we're learning yes, this. Thank you. Because I, this is part of the reason why we love doing this podcast is we're learning from each other. We're learning so much at the same time. Yeah, all the listeners it's, it's are so too. <laughs> so really, really briefly, if you're going to call a food natural in Canada, and this is, again, these are Canadian regulations. I cannot speak for any other country. You can't add any uh, vitamins or minerals. You can't add any artificial flavors, any additives. If you add those, it's not mm. natural. You can't have natural on the label. So this means Wonder Bread is not natural. <laughs> that is so enriched. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Right? No, I'm guessing no. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Also, you can't significantly change it. For example, and this example they put in the actual regulations is you can't, if you remove the caffeine from coffee, like you're removing a, a, an integral part of it, then it's no longer natural. So decaffeinated coffee okay. can't be natural. Anything that you're taking something significant out of, you can't. And lastly, the whole idea is that you haven't significantly altered its physical, chemical, or biological state. So if we think about these categories as being minimally processed and um, quote unquote natural or unprocessed foods, that is what the types of foods they were using in this study. These were a minimally processed or unprocessed foods in for two weeks. Okay. Mm -hmm. So then there are four categories. I'll super briefly talk about the two that are not in the study. So group two are processed ingredients. So this would be things like oils, and sugar and salt where it's, you wouldn't really eat it by itself. It's an ingredient. Mm -hmm. And that okay. is considered a processed ingredient. And then a processed food would be a food where you add one of these processed ingredients to it. So you would add salt or okay. oil or sugar or um, things like that to it. And then it would be considered pro processed, exactly like processed. But what we're talking about here is ultra processing. So this is like ultra. Yeah. So ultra processed foods have, as we can imagine, multiple industrial techniques and processes that are done for <laughs> these foods, quote unquote, make them what they are. And I found something really interesting in the definition of ultra processed foods where they say that it uses, quote, sophisticated and attractive packaging is used usually made of synthetic materials. So in, in yeah, that's a very good way to sum it up. In addition to the processes you make with these foods, they are generally low cost. They're generally long shelf life and they're quote unquote mm. powerfully branded. I would say that's right on the money, just especially the long shelf life, right? Like that's how part of how they're making their money. They make something and then it can sit there for a really long time. So that window of opportunity to sell is big. Right. And you don't need refrigerated trucks or freezers and all of these expensive things no. to preserve the food because it'll just sit on the shelf for months potentially. Yeah. Or in the freezer. I mean, we see a lot of processed foods in right. the fridge and refrigerator section, all like prepared yes. meals and things so that we don't have to do the work anymore. But again, in order to make it so that it can sit there for a while and still taste and feel pretty good when we eat it. Yeah, there's lots, lots added. added exactly. Sure. So that is the difference between the unprocessed and the ultra processed foods that they used in the diet in these diets over 14 okay. days each. So then 
a couple of questions come up. Like we, we should be measuring things with people when they're on these two different diets since we literally have them living in our facilities for, for that long. So mm -hmm. one of the things that they did was they, of course, measured the amount of calories that the person ate. Um, but they also wanted to know how palatable were these two diets? Like, were they similar? Did people, I mean, now we know at the conclusion that they ate more, but we didn't know when we were, the study was being done. So then the question is, do you significantly like one type of food, one diet that you've had for two weeks over the other? And they mm -hmm. actually didn't report any significant differences in quote unquote, the pleasantness or familiarity of the meals. I think that's really interesting that they didn't have a preference between the two because, you know, processed food is designed to be a lot more addictive. Like they really put yes. a lot of work into making sure you want to eat it. But knowing that real food tasted just as good and they were just as happy with it, I like to me, that makes sense because we've studied nutrition like we eat well and we know how satisfying it can be but i just people that maybe aren't as used to it i find that really Isn't interesting it's totally i, I, was, I mm -hmm. thought that was really interesting and and a critical thing to measure in a study like this well and that's important too in terms of like take home yes processed food tastes good people like to eat it but real food is just as tasty and just as satisfying. Isn't that so good? That, this is our branding, so rebranding of unprocessed foods. <laughs> yes, I know. We need to put more advertising into that. <laughs> One thing I forgot to mention, which is also really important in the differences between the diets, is that they were well matched for many different nutrients. So what they did was they matched them for total calories, energy density, mm -hmm. macronutrients, fiber, sugar, and sodium. So they I'm impressed that they were able to match all those things because especially fiber, like processed food typically is very lacking in fiber. So did they get like the, the fiber yes. supplement? that they would add to, to drink. Yes. Drinks? So they had to add fiber to gotcha. the drink. So, so that's a really good point. They weren't matching like food to food. Like they weren't matching drink to yeah. drink and, and, you know, side to side and, and main to main, they were matching the overall meal as a whole, yeah. which is interesting because it's a different level of detail. But also if we think about as a human who eats, that's how we look mm -hmm. at food. We don't look at food as here's a piece of, you know, a carrot or whatever. We look at it as a meal. Um, so what they did was yes. they matched the entire meal versus, you know, every individual thing. Cause that would be, I don't even know how you would do that. No, well, you, no, you can't really, but yeah, no, that's, that's good. It's interesting to hear that they yes. did that. And yeah, even though that they were getting the same amount of fiber, they were still eating more calories, but when you're drinking it as opposed to chewing it, like it does, chewing fibrous food slows you down a little bit. That's so different delivery right. method, which I think, I mean, it, it, it appears it makes a difference. Plus the fact that, which is the next point, is how quickly they were consuming the food. Because you can drink mm -hmm. quicker than you can kind of chew and swallow. And what yeah. they found was 
when the people were on their 14 days of ultra processed foods, they were eating faster. So they were eating more kilocalories per minute than they were mm-hmm. when they were eating the unprocessed meals. Yeah. That part doesn't surprise me that, cause that, yeah, right. that makes sense, but interesting. This is such a cool I, I, I was so, <laughs> I was so interested when I, when I found this one, exactly. And it's, it's interesting too. One of the things that they mentioned that you brought up as well was that the food could have been softer and easier to chew and swallow for the ultra processed foods, which could be exactly yeah. part of the reason why people were eating it faster. And mm-hmm. then, as I mentioned as well, people gained weight. They gained about a kilo, just under a kilo on average, of course, when they were eating the ultra processed mm-hmm. diet for two weeks and they lost the exact same amount on average 0.9 kilograms when they were eating the unprocessed diets in those meals. That's really cool. So what did you want to go over some of the, I know you love lab values and they didn't measure I totally, yes, <laughs> I love lab values. Do they do a lot of lab values? And I want to be able yes. to okay. answer Let's your questions on this because I'm not a lab value person, but you are. So, well, I think it's interesting. Like I love seeing the overall effect, yes. right? Like we see weight gain, weight loss, but we want to see how it's matching up with the biochemistry in the body, right? We want to see what's happening just inside a little bit more so yeah give it to me so um they measured like a ton of things i'll pull out a few that um actually do you have any that you want me to pull it right away or do you want me to just kind of pick a few that i think are fasting Fasting glucose glucose? they have fasting glucose they have oh it says glucose i'm not sure if it's fasting or not it should be you wouldn't i don't think you would measure okay because if it's not fasting because then it would be all over the map okay so glucose so your baseline glucose was about 90 on average. It's the ultra processed okay. diet. It was 88.6. And with the unprocessed diet, it was 88.0. So there wasn't a huge difference in those two no. diets on the glucose levels in the blood. But you did say that sugar was sugar matched. Was, oh, meal that's a good meal. point. Yes, sugar was matched meal for meal. However, the added sugar was different than the naturally occurring, potentially bound up sugar that was in the unprocessed diet. So they were really looking at just overall sugar, yes. not what yes. type of sugar it was. I then I would have assumed there would be a bigger difference. Were any of either of those statistically significant the, or no? The uh, glucose? Mm-hmm. No, they were not. No. What about insulin? Did they look at insulin? So with insulin, we're looking at um, a baseline of 11.9. And then with okay. the ultra processed diet, it went up to 11.3. And with the unprocessed diet, it, so it, those were not statistically significantly different, but with the unprocessed diet, mm-hmm. insulin went down slightly to 8.9. From 11.3 to 11.9. And then it was 11.3 oh, wow. for ultra and 8.9 to unprocessed. Okay. So it was, was signi- the unprocessed change? was a significant change. Yeah. I was yeah. going to say that's a pretty big drop. 
Okay. And there, that's where we're starting to see how it's. Yeah. That's one of the, who knows, hundreds, dozens of biochemical ways that all of our food impacts us. Yes. Yeah. So there was a slight change with the insulin. Yeah. And we know how inflammatory insulin is. And I mean, it's such a simple hormone because it just lets glucose in, but I think it's so much more complicated than that. I'm dying to learn more about insulin because I just, it's such a fascinating part of our endocrinology. Okay. So other biochemistry mark or um, blood markers, did they do CRP? Yes, they did. Oh, it was HSCRP, which I'm not sure what the HS is, but I can find out, put it in the show notes. Um, So the HSCRP, which is an inflammatory marker, was a 2.7 baseline. Mm -hmm. It went down non-significantly with the ultra-processed diet to 2.4, but it did go down Mm -hmm. significantly to 1.5 with the unprocessed food with so that decrease as well so we don't know anything about what their diets were like before they got there that they were weight stable but i don't i don't know any of the details that doesn't really tell us anything but i'm finding it interesting that we're not seeing a lot of change with the processed foods but we're Mm -hmm. seeing so much significant change when they get onto the unprocessed foods yes that's where the, these changes are. So, and all improvements, like we're all going in the direction we want to go in. Okay. What about hunger hormones? Yes, did they, they look did. at those? So we'll start. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh my gosh. Okay. I we should calm down. <laughs> three, we actually have three hunger hormones here. Um, so okay. we have leptin. Yeah. And the baseline for leptin was 44.3. And there okay. were... There wasn't significant changes in the ultra processed or the unprocessed diet for okay. 45.1 and then 40.4. The the P values were above 0.05 for both. So Okay. And just a reminder, leptin is the hormone that signals satiety. So when you get full, when you're satisfied with your meal, leptin typically increases as a way to say, Yeah, we're good. We don't need any more. And then onto the gremlins. I mean, yes. ghrelin. The gremlins, the grumbling gremlins of ghrelin. Yes. That's how I remember it. So the baseline for ghrelin was 61.4. It okay. decreased with the ultra processed diet, um, but again, not significantly. And it decreased even more with the unprocessed diet significantly. So, how to interpret this? would be that the unprocessed diet helped make people not so hungry. So they didn't even want to eat more. To that, begin is with. A, that is a correlation. Definitely. It was reducing. That's really hormones, cool. Um, to a point where it was statistically significant. Yeah, that's really cool. Okay. What was the, the other, other one was uh, hunger? PYY. Okay. Now PYY had, it was 28.9 baseline. Okay. Ultra processed, it went down slightly, but not statistically significantly. And for the unprocessed, it went up very slightly significantly. So it went up from 28.9 to 34.3. Um, the P value there was 0.047. So just on the cusp of being significant. Yeah, I was going to say we're starting to toe the line a little bit. Now, I don't know much about PYY. Is this one that encourages hunger or encourages satiety 
PYY is an appetite suppressing hormone. Okay. So it kind of works, it like, works leptin. like leptin. Yes. Okay. And there are some um, blood lipids measured that you Ooh. might. Okay. See. Can I interest you in some course. blood lipid measurements? I would definitely be interested. Awesome. <laughs> okay. So what would you like first? The total cholesterol? That's uh, hit me with the triglycerides. So triglycerides started on baseline at 72 okay. and triglycerides went down significantly with the ultra processed diet. It went down to. I find that really interesting. It? Yeah. That it went down. It went down okay. the triglycerides and it went down even a little bit farther for the unprocessed to yeah. 59.3. Yeah, that's what I was expecting. But the fact that the ultra processed also yep. went down significantly. Yeah, it, it shocked yeah, me. Yeah, and it was bit. statistically significant for the triglycerides. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Total, Total cholesterol. It was hear. 155 baseline. It went down tiny and non significantly for ultra. So that was pretty okay. much the same to 152. But it did go down significantly with the unprocessed diet. And it went down to 137 and that p-value is 0. 0.0002. So that's wow, pretty yeah. significant for the total. That's really, okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Now, what about the LDL and right. HDL? And then I'll stop bugging you for yeah. one We're going to link the study <laughs> in the notes. So feel free to bring up this giant chart and check it for yourself. Yeah. Okay, so. Peruse at my yeah. own leisure. Yes, and all of our <laughs> listeners as well. Okay. Uh, so HDL, we started out with 58.2 and it okay. went down. It did go down uh, statistically significantly from 58.2 to 55 for the ultra. Okay. But it went down even more and very significantly to 48.3 with the unprocessed diet. And that P is like 0. 0.0001, less than 0. Wow. So yeah, so okay. HDL yeah. went down. And HDL is the quote unquote good cholesterol. You don't want to see that one dropping a lot. Typically, you want to see more of a drop with the LDL, which is what they consider the bad or unhealthy cholesterol. So let's look at LDL. So LDL um, was 82 baseline. It went up non-significantly with the ultra to 84, from 82 to 84, not significant. Okay. Oh, sorry. It went down but not significantly to 77 with the unprocessed. Yeah. So with there really the was not unprocessed change with the LDL. Oh, so it didn't really drop. And mind you, this is a 14, these are 14 days huh. on the, these huh. particular diets as well. So some of these blood markers are going to move a lot quicker than others. Yeah. I mean, it's, that's, I'm glad that you're bringing that up because a lot of the chemical responses that are going to happen i mean they start happening right away but we don't always pick right. up on significant changes and and again i mean knowing the limitations of yeah. the study while this is a, a you know an rct metabolic ward crossover so you're using the exact same people in both arms of the study two full weeks they can eat however much they want mm -hmm. of two fairly matched diets it's still you mean how much this can then be applied to the general population is another step because don't forget the people here are, yeah. you know, weight stable. They were half men, half women, but they were, um, their BMI range of, which I didn't mention before of the people in the study was, I believe it was 27. 
So that puts them slightly into the overweight category for the people who are participating in mm-hmm. this study. So then you have the, what population are we doing the study on and how does that apply to the general public and, and you know, by how much? Yeah, no, that's a good point. You know, where they're starting off from will make a little bit of a difference. So, oh, that's really cool. Is there any other points I that kind of stood out to you that you wanted to what bring up? I think where we're going with this right now, I think is interesting because if we look at ultra processed foods and we look at how available they are for people, that, I mean, corner stores, oh cafes, yeah. drive throughs I mean, there's so much availability. I mean, we're lucky to live in a country where we have mm-hmm. a lot of food available a lot of the time. But again, as you were saying earlier, the shelf stability and the processing of the food, sometimes the easiest thing to, to get if when you're hungry is something that's just sitting on the shelf there, ready to eat yeah. with all its salty, crunchy, yeah. you know, sweet goodness to affect those taste buds, right? Yeah, well, and I think too, what really frustrates me is just how sneaky food manufacturers are getting because people think they're making healthy choices but food nowadays is so manipulated that unless you have become quite savvy at reading the labels it's not always clear whether it's a processed food or not like yogurt is one we've talked about this in the fermented food episode you know yogurt's one of those ones where it used to be this fantastic natural food because it was milk and culture and that was it but now they're adding so much stuff to it carrageenan and agar and sugar galore and artificial flavoring sometimes and all of these different like thickening agents and preservatives and sweeteners and artificial flavors it it is no longer the natural food that it used to be but people right. just look at the label and they're like oh well it's yogurt right. so yogurt's good for you off i go you know and that's that's where hopefully, you know, things like this podcast, but other ways that you can educate yourself will really work in your favor because- And I think that that's a a really good point is looking at the labels because a lot of, if even that ties right back to the study, a lot of what makes a food ultra processed is exactly based on what is added on that ingredients list. Like what did we add to the, the, the natural food yes. that made that processed it to the point where it's considered quote yeah. unquote ultra processed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, those are, those are some really good points. Like they just, they found ways to make healthy food right. way more profitable and people just don't know any different. So, I mean, it's, we're, both of us are huge advocates for education. Just learn so you can make the best choices for yourself. Read the labels, read the nutrition label, read the ingredient list and figure out what choices you want to make. The hard part is though, (laughs) once you start seeing things, you can't unsee them. (laughs) Like sometimes you're like, man, I just want some chips, but then you understand the consequences of eating the chips or the french fries or whatever it is you're you're craving you know and it's it's hard because you're like oh they are so good good for me but they're so good and serving size is another big point as we were talking earlier like having some chips yes is not the be all and end all of you know a, a, a meal plan or a diet or whatever you're eating but but being able to understand and and mm-hmm. even um limit 
the serving size is going to help in your favor if you do it that way, even though you enjoy it. Yeah. But how much really is a reasonable, yeah, is a reasonable size. And, um, you know, and this has to do too with how much, how hungry you feel, right? How quick you're going to eat it, whether you're distracted mm -hmm. in front of a screen or something else that you're not paying attention to how much yeah. you eat. All of these little things are opportunities to make a little change and see if that will help you reach health goals by maybe having a half of a serving or in our quote unquote, just add yeah. plain episode about maybe you want to add a little bit of plain yogurt to the sweetened yogurt and kind of make it half and half. Yep. Well, dilute it a little bit as your taste buds get used to the changes. So, or here's another right. take home, just start adding more vegetables to your plate, right? They take longer to eat, add tons of the micronutrients yes. that we need, including fiber, uh, which we're seeing has a direct yeah. impact, positive yeah. impact on our health. Yeah. So it was, it was some really cool takeaways from this study. To, um, to read the few randomized control trials done in nutrition and, and, if we could just talk for a second about why randomized control trials are so difficult to do in nutrition is because we eat multiple times a day, every day. Yeah. And to have people eat only certain yeah. foods for a couple of weeks or even a couple of meals or even regulate the amount that they eat yes. is so, so incredibly difficult that that's why the vast majority of nutrition studies are observational. It's basically asking people. So they're observing, they're not making any changes. They're like, yeah. Hey, so how much broccoli do you, did you eat in the last, you know, three weeks or, or three months? Well, that's the other thing too, is recall is horrible, right. right? Like if I said to you, what'd you eat for lunch last week? Yeah, no. I don't know about you, but I would have no clue. I don't remember even taking a moment to think about it, <laughs> right? Like you kind of have a gist of how you eat day to day, but if you ask for specifics and then you try and get even more specific. So like, okay, I stopped and got a sandwich. Okay. So like how many slices of ham was on that sandwich? I don't know. I got it at a deli, right? Like it's, you know, with nutrition, you have to be so specific. You have to measure because, you know, a few hundred calories doesn't take that much to add up. Right. And they can over time make a big difference. Well, as much as we can, because it gives you data. Like it, instead of, I think before this study, I think it would have been, you know, intuitive to think, oh, well, you know, sure. If people have unprocessed foods, they're going to eat a little bit less than, than with process. And that probably, it makes sense. It was, you know, proven mm -hmm. to be correct. But then you haven't quantified it. It's like, well, how much and what kind of a difference did it actually make? And that's where we get down to actually understanding more yeah. about, and we can dive in deeper into things like the biochemical markers and the amount of weight gained and whether that correlated with the amount yeah. of calories eaten and all of these really cool studies and really cool uh, data points to have us get to better understand the whole science of nutrition and health in general. But I think it's really interesting too, with studies like this, right? Where, you know, we're seeing, okay, people on processed foods or ultra processed foods, they eat more, but then understanding why, yeah. Okay. It's got more sugar. It's got more salt. It's got all the tasty fat and everything in it, which is what we expect out of processed foods, but understanding how it affects our hormones, including our hunger hormones is really telling, right? Like this isn't 
just a, Hey, my taste buds like this. I'm going to eat more, you know, after your body gets used to it, it's changing the physiological response of your hormones, you know, which I never is changing about how you eat in school. This is, I think a fairly recent really phenomenon, these hunger hormones and the impacts that they have on the body. I think it's, it just, it's so fascinating. It just, it's really interesting how it just goes so much deeper than just you know, oh, I am craving this, so I'm going to eat it and I'm not paying attention. So I eat more. No, it's, you know, your body telling you I'm really hungry on a scale of one to 10. I feel like a 15 right now. And so I'm going to eat more. And so the more processed food you eat, the more that those hunger hormones increase. But then, you know, on the flip side, the more real food you eat, the less resistant to uh, say leptin and some of this PYY, like we just become more sensitive to our hunger cues and our satiety cues, which keeps our hunger right. in check. And that's, and that's really what we want, is we want in check. to be healthy. And, and some of the advice I give is you eat when you're hungry and you stop when you're full, like don't overdo it. Don't just because, yep. oh, there's a little bit left. I'll just finish the box or whatever. And, and but that's, but that's a difficult yep it's not something we all grow up with. And it's not something that is um, easy to do when we're bombarded with food cues from every yeah. sign we pass as we're driving or walking and then billboards and window posters as we go by the local convenience store and all of these hungry smells. Like, like, you know, when you walk into the grocery store you can smell the bread, like you can smell what they've made. Yeah. And all of these things are, you know, slightly psychologically put in place. To, to I would say more than slightly. Our natural <laughs> tendency, which is, oh my gosh, you know, this smells great. I want to eat more. Like there's some of the advice I've heard as well is don't go to the grocery mm -hmm. store hungry, like eat before you go. Cause then, you know, and yeah. this will be interesting to see if there's actual studies yeah. that quantify how much people buy when they're hungry versus not. <laughs> I don't know. I've done studies of one. I definitely buy more when I'm, when I'm hungry. Cause I'm like, that looks good. I'm going to get that. That looks good. I'm going to buy that. That looks good. And then before you know it, your cart's so full and I'm like, like I'm not, am I really going to eat all that? <laughs> but I have teenagers at home, right. so they will. So it's right. all good. <laughs> yeah. I think the other point I want to add just before we wrap this up I still think there's such a huge lingering mentality of don't let food go to waste, which it gets a really bad pairing when we have so much excess food and we can't let it go to waste, right? So we're, what are we going to do with it? We can't let it go to waste, but we have such an abundance right now, more than ever in history. And so people just like, they feel guilty. Well, some people are, you know, starving, so I better eat. And it's, it's not a good mental pairing to have at the same time. And so we have to kind of learn to let some of that yeah, go in the choices we're making. Right. It's hard to do, especially when we lose control. Sorry uh, about what's on our plate, right? Like when you go to a restaurant, they're controlling how much food and how much calories on the plate. And then you have that mentality of, oh my God, like I can't let this go to waste but serving sizes are just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And so it's, it's really working to our detriment that we have all of these other factors coming in. Food is more addictive. We have a huge abundance of it. We still have that lingering mentality from our parents and grandparents telling us like, you can't let food go to waste. It's a waste of money. 
which it is, but what's the fine, what's the cost to letting that food go to waste as opposed to the financial cost of having that impact on your health? There, there are a lot. And I think another thing with, um, just to add one last point to your, your food going to waste comment, there are, you know, how much are we going to freeze? Like, what if there's a half a serving, like, cause you can preserve food. Like we are in technology where we have fridges and we have yep. freezers in, you know, every house. And the, the question is at what point is it worth saving that little bit versus finishing it just because it's right here right now? It's, it's this balance of all of these multiple yeah. factors. And, and that's part of the reason why nutrition science is a complicated science to get your head around, to, to get all these data points from, mm -hmm. because there's so, so many details. Food is such an inherent part of every single person, every single day. And each food item is composed of yes. hundreds or even thousands of chemicals in every single meal that we eat. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of different factors. It's it's complex and challenging, but there are some excellent researchers yes. who are finding awesome ways to do it. So, great study. Good awesome. choice. Thank I you. like this one. All right. Well, thank you for listening. If you want to follow us, hit us up at all of our social tags, research, R-E-A-T-S-E-A-R-C-H. We're on Facebook, we're on Insta, and we are also on Twitter. Right. And uh, leave a leave a rating, leave a comment, or leave a link to a study that is interesting for you. Yes. Good idea. That you would like us to chat about and read up on and share with everybody else because we love finding things just as much as you guys do. Yeah. Great <laughs> idea. All right. Thank you so much. Right, thanks, Lindsay. Hey, it's Lisa. This episode of the REIT Search podcast is sponsored by My Credible Health Blog Shop. If you're a nutritionist, dietitian, fit pro, or health coach, the shop contains a ton of done-for-you content to save you time and fill your digital marketing calendar. Every piece of content in the shop is pre-written, well-researched, expertly edited, and limited edition. As a health pro, you could choose from either long form or mini articles in your field of interest and use them to stay in touch with your audience without having to do the research and content creation yourself. Simply customize and paste them into your blog, email software, or social media platform and hit publish. To check out the Credible Health Blog Shop, visit my website at lisacleach.com. That's L-E-E-S-A-K-L-I-C-H dot com.